morning. Anybody interested in learning how to love better this morning? Come on, I know I am. I know I am. Thinking about how much Jesus Christ has loved me. Man, welcome to the Bridge Church. So glad to have you this morning. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you. So good to be with you. I'm excited because we are in the midst of this series called Building for the Generations. And we've been walking through the core values that we believe will define not only our church, but our lives. We believe that these values that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks that we've already been talking about will help everyone, no matter their age, catch the vision that God has for their life. And last week, Pastor Jim brought to us the value of serve unselfishly. And you know what? We got to see that vision play out yesterday as you heard Pastor Andy talk about. But I want you to just see the faces of the people who helped make yesterday happen at Princeton High School. I believe we got a picture of them. Yeah, buddy. Woo! You want, you want to know what I love about this picture? Yeah, give them a hand, man. Hands and feet of Jesus. Hands and feet of Jesus. You want to know what I love about this picture? That if you were able to just zoom in, you would be able to see many different generations represented. And I love that. I love that we had a little girl like this big, itty-bitty. She had a little rake, man. She was just going at it. I mean, we had some folks, you know, who, um, how, how do I put this, a little more seasoned, right, among us. I mean, and everywhere in between, everywhere in between. It's just so beautiful. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring people together like that. So I'm excited as we continue on in this series um, last week, Pastor Jim also shared with us not just that value of serving unselfishly, but really the vision that we have for our church. And I want you to help me say it, changing lives that, man, you guys are on it. It's like it's on a huge billboard right when you drive in or something. It says if it's on the door when you walk in, you know what I mean? We want to just make it abundantly clear that that is what we are about, changing lives that change the world. And I want you to understand the gravity of that, how important it is that as a church we have a vision for where we are headed. Uh, Proverbs 27, 18 says that without a vision, and you probably know this, what, the people perish. But I would add to it, with a vision, the people flourish. With a vision, that's how people can show up to a four-hour serve day and make it happen in about an hour. I mean, we have a vision. We want to see this world change. We want to see lives changed. And so week by week, we are gaining a little bit more knowledge of that vision and what it looks like. But can I tell you something, buddy? It is way too big for us to share on a Sunday morning, which is why I want to invite you to the vision gatherings happening on October 27th and 28th. I want you to be there. I want you to sign up for that because during that time, Pastor Jim will be sharing about the vision of our church and what we see up ahead. For the Bridge Church. And let me just make it abundantly clear that those nights are not a fundraising banquet. You know, I, I've been a part of many different nonprofit organizations, and a lot of times, you know, when, when something like this takes place, 
when a change happens in an organization, they do. They have a fundraising banquet. They invite everybody who um, is a part of the organization to come to a dinner, to round tables, and they share about it. And then at the end of the night, they just expect you to give something towards it. That's not what this night is about. I mean, obviously, anytime you set out to do something new, there's going to be a financial aspect to it. But that's not what the October 27th and 28th Vision Gathering is about. As a matter of fact, um, if you've been to the bridge for a while, then you understand that around this time, October, is offering fit for a king season. If you're new here, it's the time of the year where we challenge our people to give sacrificially. Well, we've intentionally moved offering fit for a king to November. And here's the cool part. We're actually inviting our children to be a part of Offering Fit for a King starting today. So if you have any kids, you'll see them come out with their little bricks. And from now until November 17th, they're going to be collecting change in their little bricks. And then on November 17th, they're going to come and present their bricks on the stage. Y'all, that's going to be powerful to see our little ones getting this principle of giving that we see so many times in the Bible. But hear me when I say October 27th and 28th is not a fundraising banquet. It's a vision-raising banquet. We want you to know, everybody who calls the Bridge Church home, we want you to know what is up ahead, and we want you to take part in it. So you can sign up for that online, or you can open up the Bridge Church app, Bridge Church NC app. You can sign up for either one of those nights. It'll be mirrored nights. That way, uh, everybody has an opportunity to come. And so we'd love to see you there on October 27th and 28th. Today, though, we're continuing our journey of looking at these values. And we've already talked about what it means to live biblically. We've talked about what it means to serve unselfishly. But today, I want to talk about what it looks like to love unconditionally. What does that look like? So uh, the best place I know to look at that would be in God's Word. Amen. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, 36 through 39. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus went to his house and reclined at his table, made himself at home. And right here in the midst of this dinner, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Man, I, I love the Bible. I love the gospel. It is just, it just puts it all out there. Like Luke, he is just putting this lady's business out. He's like, yeah, this lady, she lived a sinful life. She sure did. And she busts up into this dinner party, uninvited, unannounced. And then it says that she brought a stone jar, an alabaster jar of Bath and Body Works with her. And she stood behind him at his feet. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee, who was the one that did the inviting for this dinner party, saw this, he said to himself, right there in his brain, right there in his mind, he said right there in the quietness of his own thoughts, he said to himself, mm. Like, when you know when you hear somebody say, mm, they got an opinion. You know what I'm saying? And that is this Pharisee right now. He's like, mm. He's thinking to himself, man, if this Jesus guy 
or a prophet, well, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. And he even spells it out in his own mind. He said, she is a sinner. It's no secret that this Pharisee does not want this lady at his dinner, at his house. She is uninvited. She is not meant to be there. She has no business being there in the mind of the Pharisee. The only person that Simon, the Pharisee, invited was Jesus. And really, I think the reason he invited Jesus to this party is because he really wanted to investigate exactly who this Jesus person is. I don't think that Simon necessarily believed all of the hype about who Jesus is at this time because rumors are circulating about who Jesus is. Jesus is performing signs. He's performing wonders. People are calling him the Son of Man, the Son of God. People are calling him the long-awaited Messiah. And this Pharisee, I believe, invites him to his house because he wants to get a closer look at who Jesus is. And so he invites him to his house. And then this lady just comes barging in. And I think all of us at one time or another have had that thought, if we're being completely honest. Somebody walks in with a reputation, a bad reputation, even in church, y'all. Sometimes we think to ourselves, mm, what are they doing here? Mm, who invited them? Forgetting that we are not even in our house, that we're in God's house. And he can invite whoever he wants to. I think sometimes we're a lot like Simon in that way. Who is this? Who invited them? Why are they here? Jesus' relationship with this woman, his willingness to accept her, his willingness to welcome her, all of a sudden makes Simon start to question, not that if he's just a prophet, but I think, makes him question his relationship with God. He starts concluding in his mind, you know, if this man were a prophet, then he would know the Levitical law. If this man were a prophet, he would know the Mosaic law. And he would know that if this woman simply sat on a chair and then got up and he sat in the same chair, then he would be considered unclean simply because he touched something that she touched. But in this moment right here, this woman is actually touching Jesus' feet. So he concludes in his mind, this man can't be from God. He's certainly not a prophet because if he knew who was touching him, he would have nothing to do with this lady. His expected response for Jesus was to just put her at arm's length. Hey, what are you doing? Back up. You know the rules. But that's not what Jesus does in this moment. As a matter of fact, he embraces her. And he allows her in this moment to serve him and to worship him. This is a powerful moment with this woman, with, this, with Jesus and this Pharisee. Three very different characters in this story. So the title for today's message is Uninvited. Uninvited. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, just like we sung today, we need you. Oh my goodness, Lord, we need you desperately. Lord, we even need you to be able to understand your word. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to give us understanding this morning. So would you open up our eyes? God, would you open up our hearts to receive your word? God, would you speak to us in a brand new way so that when we leave here today, God, that we are changed, that we look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you remember your first job? How many of you remember your first job? Yeah, 
Some of you, high schoolers in the room, maybe you're in your first job. So you ought to remember it pretty easy because you're in it right now. I remember my first job. My first job, I worked for a rat. I worked for a mouse named Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. That was my first W-2 job. I think everybody around here, before their W-2 job, does something else like cutting grass or something. But this is my first W-2 job, which means that I had to wear a uniform. And let me just tell you something like, to this day I have nightmares of <laughs> waking up and having to clock in at Chuck E. Cheese. Like, and it is detailed. There are, some, there are some nights that I don't, I couldn't tell you what I dreamed. But for some reason, when the Chuck E. Cheese dream creeps up, I remember every detail to the point I wake up and I think to myself, do I, do I work at Chuck E. Cheese? Thank you, God, that you have saved and delivered me from that place. Listen, it wasn't that bad of a place to work for. I had great managers, great, great managers great people to work with. It's just, there were some moments I wish I could take the uniform off. And the uniform was just so distinct. I mean, you just really stood out when you had the uniform on. Red polo, navy pants, white shoes, black lanyard with a big old Chuck E. Cheese and your name. If I had it, I would have brought it today. But man, that thing was decked out before it was all said and done. Pins and everything. Worked there for three years. Worked in every sort of position. Cook, showroom, all of it. I was Chucky himself. <laughs> Those were some hot, sweaty, nasty times. But the thing about that uniform is nobody else was wearing that. All the parents, when they came in, nobody's wearing the red polo, the navy pants, the Chuck E. Cheese lanyard. And so it made me stand out, which means I could be in the middle of working clearly doing something, and five people just show up. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, the ticket machine is broken. Um, excuse me, sir. The, the coin machine is not letting the coins out. Excuse me, sir. Can we get a prize from the, from the prize counter? And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. If I could just take this thing off for just a minute so nobody could recognize me, that would be great. Because, I mean, while I'm certainly here to serve you, I've got a punch list of things I have to do before I leave. And I'd like to at least get to half of it before we close and so I got smart. I started washing dishes. I started going back there and realized nobody's washing dishes. Like when we, need, when we need trays for these pizzas that we're making, like it always takes an extra long amount of time because you got to wash a dish. No, I'm going to go back there and I'm just going to wash them. And I did. And the beautiful thing about washing dishes at Chuck E. Cheese is nobody can see you. Nobody can find you. And oddly enough, my managers love this about me. As a matter of fact, they would always brag about me when I'd come in. And the other cast members, the other co-workers of mine, they'd always get sick. Like, oh, here comes Luke, golden child Luke, washing dishes. And I would, man. I'd just go back there, do my thing, run out, do the things I had to do, come back in. I'd be washing dishes. Because here's the thing. I never wanted to get stuck in the black hole at Chuck E. Cheese. The black hole being the prize counter <laughs> because it never failed to be a sweet little child that walked up with 10 tickets 
And there ain't but one thing you can buy with 10 tickets, a little Tootsie Roll. Yet they stand there pondering, looking, wishing, dreaming, hoping to get something off the back wall. Buddy, that is 200 million trillion tickets. You are never getting that. That's not happening. Pick a flavor of Tootsie Roll, please. Looking at his mom, can we get, no, she's having to explain it to him. And just in that moment where it looks like there's going to be a clean break, he's walking away. Three other people come up and the process starts again. Rumor has it the guy that was at the prize counter when I was there for my last shift is still there to this day. I never wanted to be stuck at the prize counter, but my uniform always gave me away. Somebody would want to drag me over there. Uniforms are distinct. Uniforms make you stick out. And you know what? You know, I'm thankful that there are businesses that have uniforms because when I am in Walmart and I cannot find the bagels because Walmart has moved the bread aisle for the 10th time in three days, I'm glad to know that there is an employee there that I can go to and ask for help. And so when I can't find something, I start looking for the blue vest because I know that's the person that works there. There's some organizations, some businesses, they don't believe in the uniform. And so it becomes very embarrassing when you walk up to somebody and you ask them, hey, man, do you know where the outlet covers are? And they say, hey, I don't work here. I mean, has anybody ever been there before? You've asked somebody, right, Janet, you ask somebody and they don't work there. Uniforms are helpful. You know, I went golfing uh, just recently with some of the guys from our church and um, I don't know why they asked me to be on their team other, for, other than just pure entertainment, but I went. And right there, before anybody hit the first ball, the guy, one of the guys there, Chad, he was with me, and he looked at us, he looked at our team, and he said, guys, you see that team right there? They're going to win it. And I'm like, Chad, how do you, why would you? I mean, look at us, you know, there's a chance. He's like, no, that team right there, they're going to win because they play in quite a few tournaments together. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. Maybe they will because they play a lot. You want to know why I think they ended up winning? Because they did. He was right. I think it was the uniforms. They came with uniforms. See, you don't just go to a golf tournament and the night before go grab uniforms. No. If you got uniforms, you have been playing together for a while. You have been through it, man. And when you show up, the intimidation factor just starts. Like, oh, man, there's those guys with those shirts. They're going to take it home. And they did. They crushed it. Jesus and his followers, they didn't have uniforms. But there was something about them that stood out. There was something about Jesus and his followers that was distinct. And at one dinner, we have this one woman who is at her feet before Jesus. And at the very same table, we have this man who was ready for this thing to wrap up because he's seen all he needs to see. He's realized that this can't be the guy. I think it is. It's funny to me that this Pharisee spent his whole entire life studying God, yet missed him when he was right across the table from him. That's crazy. What threw him off and what confused him so badly was what confused many of the religious leaders, and that was Jesus' willingness to welcome and accept sinful people. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. He might as well have had a uniform on because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he stood 
out. Now think about that. Like, what would Jesus's uniform even have on it? Like, what number would Jesus have? Would it be seven? Like, the number of completion? Like, what, what would it be? Would it be like one? Because he is number one. He's the first one. Like, what would it be? Like, what would the, what would the back of his uniform look like? Well, I mean, would it say Christ, even though that ain't his last name? I don't know. What would it look like? I don't know. I think um, if Jesus had a uniform, you, you know what I think it would say on the front of it? I think it would say the title that he's given in Luke 7, 34, which is friend of sinners. The only way you can get a title like that is if you hang out with sinners. And he did. And it confounded so many people. It confused so many people. Matter of fact, Mark talks about Jesus and his gospel. And there is this dinner that Jesus is at Levi's house. It says Jesus goes to this dinner at Levi's house where there are a bunch of tax collectors, a bunch of sinners, because there were many people who followed him. And it said when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he do this? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So it's not some one-time thing that Jesus just bumps into this lady and has this interaction. No, this is his life. He consistently meets people where they are and welcomes them and embraces them. And he thinks to himself, Simon, jumping back to our original text, he thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is, and he would know what kind of woman she is. And what he means by that, if this man were holy, he wouldn't associate with someone who clearly isn't. Simon thinks he knows who this woman is. And granted, I'm sure he's heard rumors. I'm sure rumors have circulated. He knows, the writer of Luke knows, that this woman has led a sinful life. She has a reputation. And he thinks he knows her. And while he may know about her, he doesn't know her like Jesus knows her. When you read this whole passage, you kind of get the sense that there was an interaction between Jesus and this woman prior to this dinner. And scripture doesn't tell us about that, but imagine with me for just a second, because this isn't out of Jesus's character. We see him do this in other instances, but I just imagine that if you put yourself in this woman's shoes, this woman who has this terrible repu uh, reputation, this woman ha who everybody has probably looked down on, who everybody has looked at and thought, yeah, she's a lost cause. Imagine being this woman for just a second, and you see somebody else in town who's gaining a reputation right across the way, and it looks as if he's walking your direction, but surely he's not because his reputation is one that says he is the, the soon coming Messiah. So surely I know my past and I know what people have said about him. There's no way he's looking at me. And I just wonder what it would have been like to be in her shoes if Jesus was walking in her direction and she finally realizes that he's coming to meet with her. I would imagine there would be a sense of fear in her heart like, oh my goodness, here it comes. And then to her surprise, I could definitely see Jesus wrapping his arms around her, hugging her. And I can imagine her saying, hold on, hold on. Do you know who I, yep, I know who you are. But wait, you don't know what I, yes, I do. I know what you've done. You really shouldn't because I'm, hey, please don't try to tell me who you are. 
Because I saw you as you were, you were being knit together in your mother's womb. I saw each and every one of your days before any one of them had come to pass. Please don't try to tell me, don't try to lecture me on who you are because I know who you are. Something happened in that interaction with Jesus and this woman that she discovered that God Almighty had forgiven her. So there's no wonder that when she hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house, she comes running and she comes running with some expensive bath and body works. This ain't no sale. This ain't no buy three, get five. This is some expensive stuff that she's got. And she pours it all on Jesus' feet. There's no wonder that she is just so overwhelmed. She starts to just drench his feet in her tears and wipe his feet with her very own hair. We read in scripture where a woman's hair is her glory. So when you really think about this, what she's doing here is not just washing her feet, washing his feet, but she is literally laying her glory down before his feet. She knows who he is. And knowing what the Pharisee had been thinking, Jesus responds in Luke 44 through 47. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon the Pharisee, you said, you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon, and you did not give me any water for my feet, which is customary to show hospitality in this time period. You didn't give me any water for my feet. And I know I'm Jesus, but my feet are dirty. I mean, come on, like I've been walking on the dirt. You didn't even give me any water for my feet, but this woman, my goodness, she has soaked my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Customary for just like us when you get together with the family to hug everybody when you see them. Give somebody a kiss on the cheek in Jesus' time period. He's saying, like, you didn't greet me with any sort of affection like that. But this woman, from the moment that she has seen me, has not stopped kissing my feet he said, you didn't put any oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, listen to me, Simon. Her sins, which are many, because I do know who she is, have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But, who has, but whoever has forgiven little loves little. The biggest difference between these two people, this woman, the sinful woman and this Pharisee is not so much their sin, but their understanding of what Jesus has done for them. I wonder if our struggle with loving others is rooted in our ignorance of what Jesus has done for us. I wonder if our inability to show unconditional love to the people around us is rooted in the fact that we really can't even grasp or see or understand or know just how much God loves us. It's the reason this Pharisee is not right here beside this woman worshiping Jesus because he doesn't really see himself as all that bad. And so Jesus tells him really quick through this parable. He says, Simon, I got something to tell you. He says, go ahead, Rabbi. He says, a money lender has two debtors. One who owes 50 denarii one who owes 500. And then he says this very, very important statement that I want you to hear. 
Neither one of them could pay. And so the money lender decides to forgive the debt of both. And he turns to Simon and he says, who do you think loves him more? And he says, well, I guess the lady who has the greater debt. And he says, you've judged correctly, Simon. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. He doesn't quite understand that it doesn't matter how good you are. You can give every possession you have away, but at the end of the day, you still can't finance the debt that you and I have. Matter of fact, I had a conversation in our middle school boys small group last Sunday about this very thing. I asked the boys, I was like, hey guys, um, you know, tell me about, you know, what happens after somebody dies. What do you think? Let's just talk about that for a second. And one of the kids piped up and he said, well, you know, I think if you live a pretty good life, he said, I feel like, you know, when you die, that, I mean, you'll go to a, a place that's not that bad, but somewhere where you can have like another chance. So we ran around the circle, talked about it, and I said, guys, I, there's something I gotta tell you. It doesn't matter how good you are, you have to have a savior. It's only Jesus that can save you, not your good works. And that's where the Pharisee, I think, is struggling because he believes in his heart that if he just follows the law, he'll be saved. The problem is he can't. He's unable to. Jesus knows what kind of person this woman is, but he also knows what kind of person this Pharisee is. And Jesus also knows what kind of person you are and I am. And that could be kind of scary. For somebody to know every single thought that we've ever had, but can I tell you, Jesus is well aware of every action, of every thought. And maybe that scares you a little bit. But it should actually bring you a lot of comfort. Because even though Jesus knows every single detail of your life, he still died for you. He still loves you. No matter what you've done, and I want you to hear that today. I don't know what your past looks like. Maybe people would look at you and say, yeah, they have lived a sinful life. Jesus loves you. And we read in Romans 15, 7, Paul saying, accept one another then just as Jesus Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When you understand that Jesus paid a debt that you absolutely could not pay for, it changes the way you think about him and the way you think about others. But let me be clear, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus accepted this woman, but he didn't approve of the life that she led. Otherwise, there wouldn't be need for forgiveness. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. Despite what she had done, Jesus accepted her and gave her the opportunity to be forgiven. Too often, we don't associate with others because of the lifestyle that they're living. We kind of think in some way or somehow they'll make us unclean. They'll give us a bad reputation. They might start to make other people wonder about our relationship with God. And so a lot of times we'll hold people at arm's length because of their past or their, their failures. But that isn't the way of Christ. Listen, if Jesus waited 
until you thought and acted just like him before accepting you? He would have been just like me at that prize counter, waiting and waiting and waiting. He would have never accepted you, but instead he welcomes you and then he loves you enough to not leave you like you are. Not only does Jesus know who you are, but he knows who you can be. I think it's so interesting at the beginning of this text, the Pharisee describes this woman. This is a sinful woman who's lived a sinful life. But at the conclusion of this passage, Jesus describes her. And Jesus describes her as someone who is forgiven. He describes her as a worshiper. He describes her as a servant of God. He describes her as faith-filled. See, we as people tend to focus on where people have been, where Jesus is more focused on where people are going. And so I believe that's why you would often see Jesus hanging out with the people that nobody else would hang out with because he could see something that nobody else could see. Church, Jesus has given us a uniform. As Jesus sat around the table, in John 13, 34, 35, he describes what that uniform looks like. As he's sitting with his disciples, this is the Last Supper. Remember, Jesus knows who you are. He's well aware who's sitting at the table with him. One of them is Judas. Jesus is well aware that he's about to betray him. Jesus is even aware of the fact, this is crazy to me, they put Judas in charge of the money. Everybody trusted him enough for that. And Jesus was aware of the fact that every once in a while, Judas would just take a little bit of money out for himself. Jesus knew who was sitting at the table with him. Yet he invites him into his circle for his last supper. He allows him to be a part of the twelve. And Jesus could have waited to do what he was about to do until Judas left, but I think it teaches us something. When we see that Jesus grabbed a towel in the basin and he walked around and he washed each one of the disciples' feet, even Judas's feet, he loved until the end. And then he looked at Judas and he said, well, buddy, do what you're gonna do. And Judas left him. While Jesus accepted him, Judas didn't necessarily accept Jesus and you know the rest of the story. While Judas is off doing what he's doing, leading the guards to Jesus to arrest him, to get ready to kill him. Jesus looks around at his disciples and he says this in John 13, 34 through 35. He says, guys, a new command I give you, love one another because I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? With unconditional love. That's what he's calling us to today. He said, so you must love one another. And he says, by this, everyone, not some, not a handful, not a few, but everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the uniform that makes us distinct from any other people on this planet. It's the one thing that Jesus says everyone will recognize us as his disciples. When we clothe ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ, when people get close to us, they realize we're the real deal. God is calling you to suit up. 
put on the uniform, to represent him, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You, do you notice what's happening here in these scriptures? We're continuously told to do this like Jesus, act like Jesus. It's almost as if God is trying to transform us into the likeness of his son because he is. And this is one of the first steps. Suiting up. You can't do it on your own because if I'm, if I'm gonna be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to love people. It's hard to love people that are different from you. It's hard to love people that don't love you back. I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. All I'm here to tell you is that it's a command from Jesus himself. Not based on how the other person treats you. Nope, 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 nope. Based on how Jesus has treated you. So why is unconditional love a value here at the bridge? Well, I'm afraid that if we don't live by this value, people won't know who we are. So how do you do that? I wanna give you two steps to becoming a more accepting person. One, you gotta accept what Christ has done for you. Come to him just as you are right now, whether you feel good about yourself or not, whether you think you have anything to give him or not. When you offer your life to him, he is ready to accept it. He already sees you as acceptable, valuable, lovable, and forgivable. Else he wouldn't have died for you. So Jesus is standing, just like scripture says, at the door knocking, waiting for somebody to invite him in. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've never made that decision to let Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've never made the decision for Jesus to come into your life. Can I beg and plead of you to do that today? To accept what Jesus has done for you? And then the second thing, know what Christ knows. Know what Christ knows. God said, it's, it's not my desire that all people should perish. He said, but it's my desire that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Y'all, what does all mean? All. That's God's heart. Now, granted, not everybody will make that decision, but it is God's heart that everyone would receive his love. And we get to be conduits of that love. We get to play a part in that. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that we get to be a part of God's story that he's writing as we build for the generations to come. So as we close this morning, I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would help us because we can't do this on our own. Would you join me? God, we love you and we thank you for first loving us. We know what love is because you've given it to us. You've shown it to us. Your word says, even when we were dead in the trespasses of our sin, God, you made us alive with Christ the very moment that we said yes. And so God, there, as we walk out of this building today, even in this building, there are people who are vastly different than us. And my prayer is, that just like you, Jesus, we would be willing to love and welcome one another as you have loved and welcomed us. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. Lord, Holy Spirit, help us. We need you. 
pray for you to help us do that very thing. There is a world out there hurting. There are people out there hurting that don't know about Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to tell them about you, God. Your word says that the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. God, I pray that we walk out today just completely transformed by understanding that you paid our debt. But God, I pray that we would also walk out, walk out today out of this building as laborers, ready and willing to suit up, to show love, and to lead others to you and show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ by our example. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.